Collective Conversations, the podcast that explores the intersection of social health, community, and connection for mental wellness. We're your hosts, Chris Henson. And I'm Mackenzie Fox. We're therapists with The Collective, a treatment center based on social health located in Nashville, Tennessee. In each episode of Collective Conversations, we'll be talking to experts, influencers, and everyday people who are making a difference in the world of social health. We'll dive into topics like loneliness, building community, and the power of vulnerability. Hey everyone, welcome to a somewhat unusual episode of Collective Conversations. It's just me today. Unfortunately, Mackenzie is not feeling well at all. Hoping that she's feeling better, so I'm just leading the way. And today, I've got an amazing special guest that I'm so excited to have joined. I wanted to talk with this guy for a while now, especially through a podcast format. And we're going to do an episode kind of around breaking the stigma of men's emotional health and connection, especially when it comes to a therapeutic space, whether that be us providing that therapeutic space or men that are attending therapy. So without further ado, I'm just going to introduce Mr. Dave Flowers. And Dave, just welcome. Thank you for being here. Well, hello, and thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Just kind of tell me a little bit about yourself, a little about your life, what kind of led you down this road, a little about you. Wow. Well, first, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We have been wanting to do this for a while, and I'm super excited to do it. I think we're talking about something today that it's it's been on my mind as as a guy who has done his own work in therapy, but also is as providing that for others too. It's uh, something that I guess you'll, you'll introduce in a minute, but you know, just a little bit about me. I, I uh, grew up in Nashville and toured as a musician for a few years before getting off the road. And I've had many different jobs. My, uh, my kids like to make fun of me because I have, I've had, you know, 30 different jobs, but experience in a lot of different areas and just took me, it took me a long time to find my way to this, this world of therapy. And, um, I just started asking myself big questions like what, what do I want to be doing when I'm 70? You know, when I'm, when I'm an older man, what do I want to be doing? And I, I didn't really see myself as someone who would work, you know, for a few years and then retire and then just kind of not do anything after that. But I, um, started asking big questions like that. And I'd always had this bent towards wanting to help other people in some way. And so I, I found, I found this world of therapy and I, I've uh, went to school at Trebekah Nazarene and um, graduated from there in 2021. And I've been under supervision and practicing here in Nashville ever since. So I have, I have a family, I'm married, I have three kids if you could pick three top shows you've ever attended in your life, what would they be? Three top shows. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Coldplay. Was, Coldplay. Okay. Yeah. Coldplay. Ac- actually, before they were huge, they played a show at, what's that place? There's, there's like this outdoor empathy, Starwood. Do you remember Starwood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So Starwood, I, I saw Coldplay at Starwood before they were massively big. Um, so that was a huge, great show. I'm going to go with... Do you know Keen? Have you ever heard of yeah, Keen? Yeah, Keen. Okay, all right. So Keen played it's a like, show. Oh, look what you've done. <laughs> you've yes. made a fool. That one? Yeah, yeah. Or is that Jet? No, wait, wait. Oh, I might know. be getting Jet mixed up. <laughs> I think Keen. No, Keen is uh, everybody's changing and I don't feel the same. Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Okay, right, I know right. of the I know the uh, name. Anyway, they're fantastic. His vocals are just off the charts. Amazing. They they played a show at the Ryman that was that was great. Okay, number three, I'm gonna go with can I just stick with those two? Yeah. I mean, I mean, those were really great, really great shows. I 
I don't get out and listen to music as much as I used to. Here we go. Okay. You got one? <laughs> I do. So back in, uh, okay. Back in the nineties, like they had this festival called the Horde Festival. And yeah, so it was. Where was that? Again, at Starwood. Okay. It was, yeah. Okay. Blues Travelers was playing the, the Allman Brothers were like the, you know, headlining band at the, the end of the night. So that was, that was, that was a good show. I'll, I'll say those are my three. Those are my good three. Yeah. Solid Coldplay, Keen, and Almond Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So I'm going to do my three because I was, I was thinking about, I love music too, so much. And I will make it any attempt I can to go see some of my favorite artists, no matter where they are, if I provided the resources. But I think the three that really stick out to me are Radiohead in Atlanta in 2017, one of my favorite bands. A Tribe Called Quest in Chicago in 2017 at Pitchfork Festival. That was the last show they ever did. Wow. And then I flew to California this past March to see AFI do all of the 10, no, 20 year anniversary of Sing the Sorrow, which is like an emo album that I loved when I was 13 years old. <laughs> right. Isn't it funny? Like some of our favorite shows are, there, there's so much good music out there and talented. Yeah bands that put on great shows. It's like you could mention someone that I've never even heard of and it could be like your favorite show ever. And I'm like, I've never heard of that band. Like <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. And and yet it's like a thing that you can ex- discover then because yeah, it's like, I've never exactly. heard of it. And to me that excites me to be like, Oh wow. I've never heard of it. Let me check it out. It right. may not be for me, but I'm, right. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Love Endless that. possibilities. I, I left one out. What would you leave out? Okay. I left out you two in Chicago at the United Center. Ooh. Fantastic show. So that's the only time I've ever seen you two, but it was great. And um, they just, yeah, it was like kind of at the beginning of their tour too. So they were still working out a lot of their bugs. And I think at one point, like the edge, who's like their guitar player, right? So he starts the song and they're not ready. And so <laughs> like Bono's like, wait a minute, not ready yet. So it's like, it was, it was kind of like, uh, you know, it was a it was in a huge arena, but it felt like I don't know. It felt smaller, it felt more intimate than it really was because they were just like, "We're working through some kinks, you guys. We're gonna, you know, we're just gonna have some fun tonight and play." You know, they, they it was a great show. Was it like they were like not these like superstars that you're used to? Yeah, it's just like they're human. I mean, yeah. they are human, but it just which was interesting, you know, to me because I grew up listening to you two and. You know, I see them on stage. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's actually them. And then they're acting like, you know, just so laid back. And I love that. I love yeah. that. To like have like, a, cause like that's a moment that's going to be intrinsic to that specific show and that experience. After that, I'm sure they ironed all that stuff out and it was, it was uh, much more smooth. Let me ask you another question then. This is a podcast about social health and just the way people connect. We all are humans and we connect in our own way. And I think it's really interesting to see how it shows up in ways that are helpful and not helpful. And we like to have different guests on for each episode from different areas of practice. And I'm curious, what's your definition of social health, Dave? My definition of social health, Mm -hmm. I think that is a, that is a complicated, that is a complicated term. And I'll tell you why. I, I think when you think about social, you think about the, you know, the overarching, just what is common, you know, amongst all of us, but you also have to consider the individual too. So what might be healthy, there, there are things that we know, uh, I think that are, you know, generally healthy across the board. And then there's things that, you know, might be 
healthy for me, you know, that I make part of my routine and part of just the way I view myself. It's, 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 it's something that's healthy to me that, that may not be as much for someone else. You know, I, I think a healthy society is one that is honest, you know, the very, you know, foundation and that honesty could, when, when we're being honest, we, we differ, you know, because we're individuals. Yeah. I like that. And so it's, it's difficult to come up with something. I think that's like, uh, in a sentence or two, that's just, wow, this is, this is societal health across the board because there's so much variation. But I, I think, I think in the end, if, if everyone, you know, in society makes up society is, is coming back to this place of honesty, then that is, I think that's a fair definition. And I think what you said is like, there's no way to like come up with a specific definition that's going to be overarching for all of it. Because I think it is such a big concept and such a big question to ask. And it's, it shows up differently for everybody. But I think it's fascinating just to see all these definitions, how they add up to the overall concept of social health. Sure. I would add to that as, as we think more about this, more, more things might, might come up. But, you know, I think if health for me means unhealth for someone else, then is that societal health? I, I, would, I would argue maybe not. It's, it's something that's, you know, if something that's uh, what I consider normal is, is actually harmful to someone else, you know, then, then I think maybe you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't classify that as societal health. Yeah, no, because it doesn't, it only benefits like the one person yeah, it, and right, not right. socially as a whole. But if we were to kind of like, kind of narrow it down a little bit and think more from like an emotional perspective and specifically about men, which is what we're talking about today. Sure. Which I want to add a caveat. I'm a cis male. And you identify as? Yes. A so cis male as, I want to keep well. it from that perspective. You know, we have our uh, gender non-conforming folks and our trans folks and absolutely recognize and, and accept and fully understand from their perspective. I'm never, I'm, I can't understand from my, like, I'm only going to, I'm saying I'm only going to speak from me. Sure. And so we're just going to speak about and, our and me as well. As men. Yeah. <laughs> me as well. I think it would not be right to try to speak in any other lane. Exactly. So I, I think that's, that's fair. We're, we're both speaking today as, Hey, this is, this is my experience. I'm speaking from my experience and you're speaking from yours, I guess. So. And so with that, I'm gonna, I want to drop some stats and just kind of see what you think, Dave. Sure. So according to Mental Health America, back in 2020, 6 million men are affected by depression in the United States every single year. Of those, 79% die by suicide at a rate four times higher than women. They're also likely to die due to alcohol-related causes at 62,000 in comparison to women at 26,000. Men are also two to three times more likely to misuse drugs than women. That's heavy. It's really heavy. It's, it's heavy to sit with that. It's, I can, I can make guesses as, as to where I think maybe there's. Well, I guess it's like you being as a man serving in this field as a therapist, what comes up when you hear these stats? Yeah, it's not it, necessarily the reason. Cause I don't think there's a lot of reasons <laughs> sure. why and a lot of attributing factors. No, but. that's, that's, it brings up a lot of sadness. Honestly, yeah, it's same. It's just, um, from a male perspective, it, it's I'm all, I'm always trying to consider the whole, and I know there are a lot of reasons why people suffer, and and it's not just males; it's it's females, and even with between those, it's like different age groups suffer for different reasons. But it's just um, 
it, it's pretty sobering just to hear those numbers and and to know that there is there's so much pain and this is just a very unique I think time that we're we're living in where we're we're struggling and we don't know what really to do about it and we're we're not quite sure if if this struggling is normal or if it's something that you know is common I, I think part of that you know is tied to just how connected we are and how what level we're connected on in in society but it's in the end it's it's just kind of a a, a sad sobering fact that there's a lot of suffering going on and now it's you you can you can acknowledge that and you can say that's that's true and that's where we're at i think there's also a very hopeful piece you know to all of this there there are there are resources there are places we can go to to seek help and and it's just a matter of of knowing you know where to go i think it's the hard part sometimes yeah. people don't know where to go where to start well, i think for people it's probably really scary especially especially men because i think about when I grew up, I grew up as a very sensitive child and I'm still a sensitive uh, adult now, but I was told that that wasn't right. And I was, oh, yeah. I was bullied for it and, sure. and called all these names and um, often misgendered as a way of making me seem like I'm weaker. There's like this idea that men are stronger right. than women. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, quick story about that. I, you know, I, I did my own work in, in therapy before I became a therapist. Uh, under supervision, <laughs> I have to put that qualifier in for the state of Tennessee. Um, I'm under supervision as well. <laughs> for the record, for the record, um, <laughs> you know, it's I, I don't I don't know completely where that comes from, but I identify with what you just said about just growing up and feeling that other than you know, different in a sense. I, I I the first my first experience with therapy myself. I was sitting, I was going through some, some just challenges with, with career and just not feeling like, oh my gosh, I, I cannot do this for the rest of my life. And I don't know what I'm going to do about it. And I don't know what to do. I felt stuck. Right. So I, through, through the suggestion of a good friend, I reached out to a therapist and sat with him and, um, was just starting to unpack that this whole, just everything, it, you know, it all just kind of came out at once. And I felt like, oh my gosh, for the first time I can sit, this is a safe place for me to kind of unpack all that. And it just like, it, it came out and I started just weeping, just wow. crying. <laughs> and he was so uncomfortable with that, that he kind of shut it down. Your therapist was. Absolutely. Wow. And so I think, I think even like, I don't know if that's a cult, cultural thing or if that was an individual thing with this with this particular therapist, but it I I felt like oh my god it, it reinforced everything that I had you know experienced growing up like that's not okay you can't you cannot break down it like that in front of anyone else right it's not safe to do that or something is seriously wrong if if you do that you know and so so it just reinforced all that and and fortunately I found another therapist who was much more of a safe place. And I, you know, was able to work through some things, but, but yeah, I, I think, I think there is that, Hey, you're a dude. That's not okay. You can't, you can't do that. And I think we need to do that. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think I need to do that. Like I'll, I'll say that. I think emotions are something that we all have and we all have to, 
we we all have to deal with these emotions and figure out how, you know, you know, how they fit into our life and what, what they're trying to teach us. Right. Yeah. And therapy is supposed to be, should be a space for us, a safe place for us to work through those things. But even as, even, you know, as guys, you know, I think it's, it's still kind of like, there's that man, you're showing too much. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that really leans into the stereotypes of what it is to be a guy. I remember learning at a young age, I need to be strong, silent, stoic, a provider, the sole provider, if you will, right, depending right. if we're looking at a traditional, um, you know, idea of what masculinity is. Sure. Showing emotions is a sign of weakness. Pick you, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Right, right. And I remember hearing all that and I was like, that's a bunch of crap. Like, I don't <laughs> identify with this and I don't agree with this, but also grew up in, uh, I mean, Williamson County, it's not like. It's, it's definitely an, an affluent area and an affluent county, but I grew up with like a very specific kind of group of dudes around me all the time. And I didn't ever really feel like I fit in fully as far as masculinity in that way. And I never understood it because I, I was like, I've, I have feelings and I'm sad sometimes right. and I cry and like, why can't I? And also I don't feel as strong as I do. I need to be stronger. Do I need to work out more? Sure. Like all these things. And you know, through my own work, I've just learned that like, there's a lot of different ways to approach masculinity and what it is to be a man. And I don't think there's one right or wrong answer, but I definitely think there's a healthy and an unhealthy way to go about it. Sure. And, and I think that health and unhealth goes back to honesty. You know, like I you know, mentioned a few minutes ago, it's, I had, had a child and I, I work with a lot of children. I work with families, but you know, my Kind of my wheelhouse is working with kids from the age of like five through 12. Now I, I do see teens too and some adult guys, but I really enjoy working with kids. And I had a kid who was sitting in my office and uh, not sitting, we were doing play therapy. And so he was talking. Sometimes it's just play, right? Sometimes it comes out just like what whatever I'm going through is coming out of my play. And in this particular on this particular Saturday with this particular kid, I mean, he was, he's like, I almost cried this week. And I said, Oh, tell me about that. You know? And he was, he was talking about something that happened at, at school, you know, that hurt his feelings. And he said, uh, I almost cried, but I didn't, I didn't do it. I was like, wow. Wow. What was that like for you? You know, it was just, well, it was hard. It was really hard to want to cry and not cry. And, um, I said, you know, and, and this is, this is where, you know, sometimes we second guess ourselves in therapy, like, oh, I should have said this, right? You know, it's like, yeah. I did this and I, yeah. I would have done this differently. Replaying it back. But, you know, I, I, I couldn't help it. I, I said, I wonder, you know, I wonder what you think about, what do you think about crying? Like, what, what, what do you think about showing emotion in front of, in front of other people? And he was like, well, that's just, that's not okay. It's not okay to do that. And I said, well, I hear that. I hear that, you know. I said, what I said, I, I want to cry a lot, you know, and, um, I'm always asking myself what's, what's honest. If it's honest for me, if, if I want, if I want to cry and it's like, what what's the most honest thing that I could do in that moment? Well, it's, it's, you know, um, well, if I don't, you know, and maybe I'm in a place where that's, you know, it's like, okay, I kind of need to, maybe I need to compartmentalize this for just a moment. And then when it's safe to do so, I can deal with this, but like, I just got to like, you know, push through in this moment. Right. Yeah. But you know, not, 
not listening to what that emotion is trying to teach you, you know, is not being honest with yourself. And if I never deal with that, if I want to show emotion and I never do, then that's not living an authentic, honest life for me. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And it makes me think of like when people sacrifice their authenticity to maintain a connection or an attachment. Right. And that's something I've definitely been way more apparent, like just kind of like looking at in terms of my life recently and just seeing where that plays into it and when sure. it shows up. But I also think it's it's hard to really ask somebody to be so honest when we have social norms that are telling us, <laughs> you look at men's magazine, you look at actors, you look yeah. at the idea of, of, of a peak male, you look at uh, the guys that are, that are influenced like Andrew Tate. Right. And, right. and these like red pill, very, I'm macho man, this very specific and often they think the only proper way to be masculine. Sure. And then you have these young boys that are growing up now and seeing that and being like, well, I'm not like that. Something's yeah. wrong with me. I need to be more like that. Yes. Uh, we, and that's, that's really nothing new. No, you know, that's something that has, as far as I know, it is, it's always been, society has changed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also there has, there have always been expectations on males that are one-sided Mm-hmm. I, w- I would say, I think about, I think about this, I think about, you know, I have this, I have this intense kind of just, uh, what's, it's not affirmation. What's the word where it's like you respect like adoration. I don't know. What is the word? Adoration. I don't know. Maybe it is Mr. Rogers. Admiration. Yeah. Admiration. Okay. There you go. Yes. Admiration. Yes. We found it. We found one of the rations. <laughs> <laughs> we found it. Searched and we found, um, I love Mr. Rogers. Uh, Fred Rogers was just. I mean, a genius and a pioneer in so many different ways. But he, one thing that he did, you look at the way he carried himself publicly, right? Now, now consider like he's, he started his career at NBC before Mr. Rogers Neighborhood and before all that in the 1950s, right? When just the expectations on males were like very, there wasn't a whole lot of variation. It's like, you were going to just what you were mentioning. You're going to be the strong one. You're going to be, you know the leader, you're going to be this and that it's, everything was very boys, boys felt that right. Mm-hmm. Boys don't cry. Boys don't cry. That's don't. the, the classic line. Can't do that. Right. Girls and do. I've been told that. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but you look at the way Fred Rogers carried himself in public. He not, he was very mild mannered. You know, he was always very open with how he felt about things and people. And he taught children that it's okay to feel those things. It the, the important thing is what do you do with them, right? It's like emotions are common. We all have them. We all feel them, right? They're they're normal. Everyone has them. It's not it's not do you have them or don't you have them. It's what do you do with them, right? So he has this song. What do you what do you do with the mad that you feel, right? It's and it's it's talking about how yes you're going to feel mad. But what do you do with what do you do with it is the important thing, yeah. right? It's it normalized for you know my generation for anyone who would listen. It normalized this fact that it's normal to feel angry about things. It's normal normal to feel sad about things. The question is, what do you do with it? You know, in my anger, I can go out and hurt someone else, right? Or I can do something different with it. I can actually take that anger and look at what needs to change. You know, 
and be a part of the change that's going to be something good or beneficial, you know, in the end. And so, so it's, it's, it's like he, he looked different than all, a lot of the other males that he grew up with, right? The, the societal norms were over here and he was on the other side, just kind of, I don't know, in, in my, in my mind, setting a good example of what health looks like. I didn't watch a lot of him growing up, but what I remember is he was so gentle and just so soft spoken. And I was just like, wow, this is like not what I'm used to seeing for, <laughs> for, for what men are. Right. It wasn't what anyone was used to seeing. He left so much silence in his, he was okay with just being mm-hmm. right. And what message would be, you know, more important for us, I think, just as busy as we are. And um, we, we fill every hole. We fill every space. And he was okay just sitting there in front of the camera and not talking for a minute. You know, it's terrible TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, 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 you know, it's like, oh my gosh, we're going to, they're going to turn, they're going to turn the ch- channel. Like it's. You know, you can't do that on TV or radio. You can't stop talking, you know? Yeah. Um, but he was comfortable doing that because he wanted to show people that, uh, and set an example for kids that, look, you need space in your life. Yeah. You know, in so many ways, he just set a good example. You know, society was over here. Culture's over here saying, stay busy, make it loud. You know, as long as it's funny, it doesn't matter what you do. And he's over here on the other side, you know, just sending a different message. I love that. We needed that because I think back to that statistic of, of self-harm amongst men. And I think there's just so many men, only speaking from my perspective of like who want to be able to have deeper connections and be able to share on a deeper level yeah. and be accepted and heard and not called um, names that make them feel less than or or as a way sure. to make them feel that their emotions don't matter or that they need to be a certain way. And I think it keeps a lot of men closed up yeah. until they open up in a way that is completely unhealthy or destructive or damaging or hurt somebody yeah. or themselves. Why do you think that is? Uh, patriarchy. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, it's yeah. something I know I benefit from and I recognize that. And it's been that way since think about the fifties and forties when yeah. man comes home from work, wife has dinner cooked. She's cleaned the house. She's done all of these things Mm -hmm. and is expected to dote on this guy. Yeah. And all he does is just provide the money and maybe minimal emotional support. Yeah. Yeah. I I think back, you know, I have really good memories of my grandfather. I have really good memories of my dad um, who's still around. My grandfather's not. But what I remember about one of the things I remember about my grandfather is, is that he had social connections. He had deeper social connections than I do, honestly. And, and it looked different because the time was different. You know, his social connections were, we're going to go out on a Saturday and go fishing, right? We're going to go fishing with like a bunch of guys. And, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of talking that was going on, you know, not a whole lot of like under the surface kind of stuff. Yeah. But it was this kind of comfortable, just like doing something everyone enjoyed. You know, there was that he had that and then he had this group of musicians that he would come over to his house and they would play music together he played the banjo and so all these you know these people would come over and they would just have dinner together and they would you know um play music into the night and my mom grew up you know just kind of you know 
watching, watching that, you know, it's like as, as a, as a child, she would watch him play with the other you know musicians and she would go to bed and she would still hear them playing. You know, I, I think I say that just, you know, to say, I, I think there were things, there are things that needed to change, you know, in that generation, there are ideas that needed to change that were very rigid. You know, I also, sometimes I, I'm honestly like jealous because I'm like, man, how was it easier for them? Or did they just make the time to spend together? Like people hanging out community was important to them, you know, and spending time together was important. And they, they enjoyed that and they benefited from that. I I think we really struggle with being overly connected at a surface level and we're, we're under connected at a very deep level. Right. So it's, it's like, there are good things about social media. There's also that piece of it that's like really easy to, you know, to just stay on that surface and never feel like you're really connected with anyone. What do you feel like is getting in the way of specifically men informing and maintaining meaningful social connections? Is it social media? Is it more than that? Is it a mix of, it's probably a lot of things. I think, yeah, I think everyone's struggle. I mean, everyone's got social media. Everyone's got phones and tablets and say, it's like, that's, that's a struggle with everyone with just that surface level connection. And I think everyone struggles with that specifically for men, man, that is, that's tough because it's individualistic, right? It's like, yes, there are those, there are those societal kind of, you know, expectations that um, are, are pretty rigid. I think that weighs into it. Yeah. You know, what keeps me from having really good, deep, authentic relationships and connectedness with, with other people. I, I work two jobs. I think people can identify with being busy. You know, I, I don't, I don't see that as like a weight or an expectation on me. It's, it's just, that's my life right now. Like I'm, I'm working two basically full-time jobs and, you know, I have a, I have a family, I have kids. When, when I have spare time, I'm very intentional about spending that with my kids while they're still around, you know, they're teenagers now and they're, they're in that, they're in that space where they, you know, are getting ready to move out. And I just want to spend as much time with them as I can. So it's, some of it's just like the pressures of life. I think, you know, I think that word pressure really, really fits specifically with men pressure to be a certain way. And I think like pressure to not feel uncomfortable. I think about like an experience where like I had a friend share something that was honestly pretty deep that I had never known about them. Yeah. And I said to them, thank you for sharing that with me. And all they were like, they just said like, hell yeah. Like <laughs> didn't want to go any deeper. <laughs> Clearly were uncomfortable of even expressing and exposing that part of themselves. Because when you do that, it makes you vulnerable. So they were uncomfortable or you were you? They uncom- were uncomfortable. Okay, you were I was appreciative of, of getting uh, to know them on okay. a deeper level and was willing to even go deeper with them and talk. And maybe it's just like, you know, therapy brain at play. Isn't that interesting? Like when someone finds someone else who is a safe place to share something on a deeper level with, it's like, it's almost like you found home, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) It's like, ah, okay. This person is safe. Like I can share more things. One of the things that pointed me towards working with people in a, you know, in the therapy world, you know, as a therapist is people were doing that anyway. I just, you know. People were coming to my desk at work and like talking about things that had nothing to do with work and it was all home stuff. And, oh man, this, this really hard thing happened the other day or, you know, my dog, you know, 
who's been a part of our family for years passed away. And they're just it, all of these things, you know, were just, I don't know, I, I guess people felt like I was a safe person to talk to that about. And so I didn't get a whole lot of work done. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's like, there's just always people like coming to talk and, and I love that. And it pointed me toward, you know, this, this world of working with people, you know, as, as a therapist that, that for me is just like a, it's a holy place for me. Like it, yeah. it's, it's like it just, when someone is humble enough to come and sit with you and talk about the most meaningful things going on to them, that, that is a, it's a holy space for me. And Mr. Rogers talked about that too. He's like the space between the camera and the viewer is like a holy space. Like he really viewed his work, you know, going back to him for a minute as, as some, something that was meaningful and long lasting and that would make a difference. And it wasn't just entertainment, right? It may be cheesy, but I mean, this work is often referred to as soul work and I agree with it. Like it just, yeah, it fills me up to be able to be with someone and have them feel like the space is safe enough for them to share. Maybe for the first time, the things that they're really keeping inside, especially for men to be told so long, I, you can't be like this. You shouldn't be like this. You need to be this way. Emotions are for women, not for men. (laughs) You're only allowed to be angry and you can only show it in one way. And that's, you know, be destructive, uh, solve your conflicts with violence and physical means instead of verbally or, and it's a lot of unlearning and a lot of untraining and deprogramming that I've had to personally do. It is, you know, we're, we're kind of talking here about where that comes from, but it's a lot of, a lot of guys and a lot of women too, they get stuck in their head. You know, it's interesting. Like people thing, I think it is, it's a people thing. Uh, you, You get stuck in your head and you don't listen to, you know, whatever you want to call that your gut, you know, it's like you're the, the emotional part of what's, what's going on. It's like you, you don't listen to that. I think one of the things that guys can, you know, one thing that can cause problems is when we put more value on what comes out of our head, you know, than what comes out of our heart and our being or, you know, the soul work that you're talking about. Right. It's, you can't solve everything with, with logic. Now it's interesting when, when someone comes to me and emotionally, they're just like, the emotions are big, right? Generally what I'm trying to do is pull like them back into their head. Like, okay, let's think about, is that, is that a reasonable thing to do? Think like, you know, you were talking that way, but when someone is stuck in their head and this happens a lot with guys, I'm trying to bring in this, this idea of like, okay, what does that bring up in you? You know, what does that bring up? Well, you know, it's, it, it makes logical sense that I should do this. Well, you know, doing that, like, what does that, what does that bring up? Well, I, frustration, frustration is a big word. Like frustration is a safe word, you know, for guys, but I'm like, Hmm, frustration. It may be possibly like anger, you know, but maybe, maybe, you know, it, it's, it's just getting to the point where we can talk about it's safe to acknowledge that emotions are in you. And they're trying to teach you. They're trying to help you, right? <laughs> they're trying to teach you something. Your anger is trying to teach you that something is not right. Something is something, you know, very important to you that you value is being stepped on, right? And what can we learn from that, right? Um, and how can that affect like what you actually choose to do from here on out, you know, your actions, right? So it's, I see that with guys, you know, 
up in the head, right? I do too. It's a lot of, I don't know what I'm feeling. I only know what I'm thinking. <laughs> right. I only know what I'm feeling when I'm exploding and doing, and, and my anger is coming out in a way that I can't understand and it's destructive and it's ruining my relationships and messing with my life. And I don't understand why. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a aha moment for some guys to, to know and, and children, you know, and I guess everyone it's across the board, but you know, we choose what we do with our anger, with our sadness, with our happiness, right? It's like, we get to choose that knowing that and starting to get used to that idea is empowering, right? When someone is, when someone, I don't know whether it's because of what they've been shown from, you know, their father or from society, like this is, it's like when something goes wrong, my father exploded, you know? So that's what I do. I explode. You that's know? the only emotion I ever saw it on. My dad was limited vulnerability and anger. Yeah. And that's all I ever understood is to feel as well as like sadness just growing up and not understanding what to do with that. And it would turn into anger. I can't imagine how miserable and constricting that must feel to know that my only option when I'm angry about something is to explode. Opening that up to, hey, you have a lot of options. You have a lot of things you can do with this anger, right? doesn't have to look like that. It doesn't have to harm anyone else. You can use it actually to do something really good. I just had a thought. I was, I'm thinking about like, like, okay, I've seen this before. Like women go out and they all go to the bathroom together and hang out and support each other and compliment each other <laughs> right. and, you know, touch up, makeup, whatever, just like chill in the bathroom. Men don't really do that. No. And it's very much like an isolating feeling being a man of like, like looking and striving for community. And for those that fit the mold of the specific community of like keeping it stoic and keeping it superficial, but then the ones that don't fit that, where do you, where do we, I'm going to say I, where do I fit in as far as forming sure. a community? Like maybe I just want to go to the bathroom and hang out with some dudes and Dude, just chat and just Chris, talk and just laugh. And you just let me know when you want to go to the bathroom <laughs> and hang out. Know what I mean I, though? Just no, like, I, exactly. It's like a mean. different level of socialization and, and the way to connect and create and establish and maintain relationships. And I don't know that I have an answer for that because I've thought about that myself. Like, why is it so much easier for my wife to make time and spend time with other women, right? Why is it so much harder? Is it because I don't think it's important? Is it because, you know, I don't, is it because I'm busy, you know, like we were talking yeah. about? Is it because just of the pressures of, you know, life that, that come in and, say, okay, this is more important than that. So you need to be doing this. Like, um, I don't know. I've always struggled with this whole responsibility thing. You know, it's like, I must be doing the responsible thing all the time. You know, I grew up a firstborn, so okay. maybe that's part of it. Me too. I think that speaks to the value though. It's like maybe the responsible thing to be doing sometimes is to be finding some other dudes to hang out with and go hang out. But you're right. I, I, I think, you know, you don't see that as much. I, I I've thought recently about just like, what, what would it be like to start like something where guys get together, you know, once a week, once every two weeks or once a month or whatever, and just like hang and like smoke cigars and <laughs> no, well, not smoke cigars. That's a very manly thing to do. <laughs> no, some cigars <laughs> I mean, are fine. But like, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we get together and we do things, right? Yeah that we all enjoy doing. Like my, you know, thinking about my grandfather, like he was just getting together with other people and doing what he loved to do, you know, fishing, yeah, playing music, right? That like, why, why don't I prioritize that? 
Well, I think there are groups of guys that do that, but I think that they keep it activity based and don't let themselves go deeper. Uh, like, hey, dude, I'm really hurting right now. Or, hey, I'm really worried about something. Or, hey, um, this is what I'm feeling right now. It's more of that's not accepted. Yeah. At least I've, I have a lot of friends in different groups and I have different groups for different th- aspects of myself, like friends that I can be more vulnerable with and cry sure. in front of. And then right, friends. Right. That are more of like the dude, dude types where we just like right. play video games and don't really talk about the emotions and things like that. Right. Cause I'm the only therapist friend there. Yeah. <laughs> and no, 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 it, that's an interesting, as you're talking about that, it's, there is, there are different levels. There's mm-hmm. that, Hey, we're not going to, we're going to do, you know, we're going to play video games and, and not really talk much. And then there's like the other level, like how do we, um, how do we as guys get to that point where it's okay to like talk on the deeper level, you know? With each other, with everyone. Yeah. Well, right? I think the question you're asking, Dave, is like, how do we break the stigma? Yeah. How do we break the stigma of men supporting and prioritizing their emotional health and also around seeking help to do yeah. that? I think that happens. That happens for me, at least when I feel safe, you know, and when I'm, when I'm working with the family, or I'm working with a kid, there's, there's nothing really good that happens if they don't feel like they're in the safest yeah. room in the world with the safest person in the world. It's like when you feel safe, things come out that like maybe you're protecting yourself from in other circles. Right. So, so yeah, I think it's a safety thing and safety is like getting back to that breaking a stigma. Like if the stigma is not there, maybe it's safer to kind of talk through those things. I also think adding to that representation, like we are a minority in this field of, yeah. of mental health workers. Right. I, I believe so, at least, at least from what I've noticed. <laughs> no, you're, I you're work for with sure. only women. I, yeah. I am the only man in this entire office. Well, working with children, like yeah. every training I go to, I, I'll walk into the room and there's, you know, there's like 45 women and me. Right. So I've, I've gotten very used to that. Um, and, and I'm comfortable with that now, but in the beginning it was like, oh my gosh, where are the guys in this field, right? Where are the guys who want to work with kids? And uh, I, there's a lot of reasons, I think, why people, you know, choose or not choose to, to work with kids. But it's, for me, it's, there's a huge need for that. And you see it when you go to a training and you're the only guy, in the yeah. room, you know, I think it's something that's, I've noticed it changing, you know, I think maybe we're in a better spot than we were 10, 20 years ago, but change comes slow. It does. Didn't happen overnight. It's not going to change overnight. No, it's, it, it's, it's like, you just have to be honest with yourself and keep doing what you want and are meant and are wired to do. Right. You work with a lot of teenagers, right? Yeah. You do a lot of groups and, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's a huge need for that. So you keep doing that. Thank you. And you keep doing what you're doing too. I, I mean, like I, when I think about representation, like if I have, I've had several men that have never had therapy before, never don't know what it is. Don't really understand it. And they step in my office and they see me and I look the way I do and I'm just acting the way I am. I'm just me. And they're like, oh, sure. this guy is just being a dude and this is cool. But also he's like kind of talking about emotions and he's like, like creating a space that I see him and he looks like me for the most part, doesn't talk like me and also kind of is talking about the things that I, I can relate to, but I've never really shared with anybody. It's, it's refreshing. Yeah. It's, it really, it, I mean, for me, it's, you know, when I started working here and meeting you, I was like, ah, another guy 
who gets it, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it is kind of like, uh, not unusual. I don't know. Do we want to call it unusual or is it like out of the norm, out of the norm, unfortunately the gender societal norms that are pushed on us. Yeah. yeah. I think it's out of the norm. Yeah. So let's call it out of the norm. It's, you know, so it's, it is refreshing to see something that's out of the norm and healthy. That's, that's what I'm always pursuing with myself, with my clients, with my family. It's what is the healthy thing to do? I, you know, when I was at Tribeca, when Dr. Harvey, I learned so much from that guy and he would say, I don't do right or wrong. I do healthy and unhealthy. Right. And so that's, that's been my pursuit with my clients is what is, we're always looking at health. What is the healthy thing to do here? Because a lot of clients do come to you. You're like, what should I do? What's the right thing to do? Well, I don't know what the right thing to do for you is, but I, I can tell you it's not healthy to do what you're doing. So let's look at, let's look, look at it through that lens. Like what's, what's a more healthy thing that we could be working towards here. Do you have any tips or oh like gosh. strategies for either for how you prioritize your emotional mental well-being? <laughs> that, that hits hard because I, I think I struggle like a lot of therapists and counselors do with just taking care of themselves. Again, in school, we talk about that a lot and we make plans for self self care and, you know, how are you going to take care of yourself and how are you going to prevent burnout? And, um, you know, you write these papers and then, then you start working and you don't do any of those things um, or you don't do them as often as you should. And I don't know, I, I think all I would say about that is, is just, you have to keep coming back to I call it home. It's like coming back to my home, my center, right? Knowing what is, if something's out of whack, if, if something's not working, if, if I'm too tired, if, um, if I need a vacation, right? It's like checking in with myself is probably the best thing that I've consistently done with self-care is setting aside time, again, creating space in my day and my week to just check in, you know? And ask what what do I need today? What do I need right now? Right? Maybe the answer is I need to go to the park and walk around the lake, which I love to do. It's like one of my self care things, I guess. I love being outside. But it, whatever that thing is, it's to listen to that and not not ignore it. You know, it's one thing to be aware of something; it's another to be aware and take action. Checking in and listening to what you need. I mean, I would add to that of just recognizing that you have emotions for a reason. Yeah. And like you say that they are teachers and to just, for me to challenge what I'm told is the right way to be as far as a man and to recognize that there's different levels of masculinity as well as just, it's all on a spectrum. Absolutely. If I want to wear a dress, it doesn't make me any less of a man. I paint my right. toes. I love painting my toes. That's <laughs> my form of self-care, getting pedicures. Dude, I think that's fantastic. I'm due for a new one, but, um, do you, so you've are you're wearing boots right yeah. now? Like like what are, are your uh, are your toes painted? They are chipped pink. Chipped they, pink. Yeah, they need to be. They need. I haven't that had a pedicure fantastic. in a couple months, but they were Dude. pink and glittery, and it just makes <laughs> me feel nice. Good. It makes me feel beautiful, and I yeah. think that's okay for a man to say. Like yeah, like um, I I just I hate that there's like this this idea of. Pink is for uh, girls. Blue is for guys. Pink is one of my yeah, favorite. Yeah. Blue used to be my favorite color growing up. Pink yeah. is my favorite color now. It's like, where did that come from? Why gatekeep any colors? Why? <laughs> yeah. Why color? Yeah. Right. 
It's like of all things. No, I think that is, I think it's wonderful. Like that's fantastic. You are doing something for yourself that you need and is you're connected, you're reconnecting with you. Right. It's like, um, when I was talking about just, you know, checking in with yourself and asking yourself what you need, that's exactly what I'm talking about. What are those? What do I, what do I need to do right now? I, you know what? I need to paint my toenails. I, I need to like take care of my feet. Like that's important to me. It's, makes me feel good. It makes me feel beautiful. You know, it's, yeah. Why can't, why can't guys say that? Well, I think it's systemic. Like this kind of goes to a, a listener submitted question of, and I'm going to kind of summarize it, but systemic emotional mutilation. Basically men are raised with a belief that feeling and expressing the full range of human emotions isn't manly and how that causes great difficulty for them as adults identifying their emotions and needs, as well as showing empathy for partners when they've never learned to have empathy towards themselves. Wow. It's not really a question, but more of a, a to- uh, of a topic. And they also added, it yeah. deserves a lot of grief because grieving what wasn't taught. Yeah. And I, th- I think every home is different. I-, I was fortunate to grow up in a home where for the most part, it was okay you know, for, for us to voice any kind of show, any kind of emotion, right? Not everyone has that. Not everyone gets that. And I understand that. And when you don't have that, it can create a lot of problems down the road. You know, you, when it's like, oh, it's not safe to express that. It's never been safe for me to express that, you know, as a man, what I'm teaching my kids, what I'm teaching my son, my son is 16. Yesterday was his birthday. Oh, wow. And happy um, birthday, Dave's son. <laughs> He's, uh, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing right now. Um, <laughs> he's doing 16 year old things. What I'm trying to teach him is that, and I think he gets it. He gets it is that it's okay to show emotion. Yeah. And actually something happened, you know, a couple of weeks ago that was just a big, it was a big change in our family. It was changing our family dynamic a little bit. And we both just sat and grieved that, you know, and I said, I'm, I'm sorry you're hurting right now. And I was hurting because he was hurting. But I said, I'm sorry you're hurting right now. But I'm so glad you can grieve this, you know? Yeah. Grieving losses is something we just must do. And everyone does it differently. And it looks different for, for everyone. But being able to express emotion over a loss is, is something that is so freeing, really, you know? As because that grief happens over a long period of time and, and every time you feel it, when it keeps coming back and you grieve a little bit more or on a deeper level, it's, it's like, oh, I know what this is. I know what this feels like. This is familiar. And it's, it's, it's a safe thing for me to do. It's something that, um, I must do and then I can carry on for a bit, but it's, it's like, I, if you come from a home where it's safe to do that then the grief that you experience over the rest of your life, it's going to change the way you deal with that, you know, which sets you up for the rest of your life, a lifetime of being able to grieve well. So yeah, I I hope he gets it. I think he does. And you know, that's what I'm trying to teach is like, it's, it's, you, you must, you must be honest with yourself. You know, if you feel this loss is, um, you know, if you want to cry, because this loss is so great for you, then you must do it. It's cathartic to cry too. Yeah, right. You let it out then. You don't have to hold or you let it out now. 
you don't hold on to it then. Right. Right. Whenever then is, who knows when then is, but it's down the road. It will sure. happen. I, I tend to think that generally what, whatever you hold on to, it, it's going to come out. It's going to come out in some way. And generally it, it comes out in unhealthy ways when you just don't hold it with an open hand. When you hold on to it, then it's going to find a way out and it might surprise you how that comes out sometimes. But it's, you know, holding things with an open hand and being honest with yourself, I think is, it's, it's something that, you know, I hope my kids get from, from me. And, um, you know, I think it's a healthy way. I love that. I mean, it's men are so many things. <laughs> that men is and so women are true. not, not very much different than one another. Right. And, right. And just people in general, I think we're all the same and that, that we, you can throw away our stories and our emotions are still the same and that's how we connect. And I think through honesty, like you said, and vulnerability, it's how we really connect. And it's scary as hell to do that, to be yeah. so open and to tear apart your chest and let people see your heart yeah. and see what, what really you experience, what you feel. Because when you do that, you give it to them to do whatever they want with it. And it's risky. It's risky. And they could use it against you. They could use it with you. Exactly. On that topic, we do have another question from a listener. And this is a really interesting one. It's, how do I convince my husband that therapy isn't just for women? How might I convince my husband that therapy is not just for women? Well, what motivates men? I don't know. What motivates men? What motivates what, me? What, what motivates you? What motivates me is uh, discovery of self, others, exploration, people's stories, right? feelings, money. Um, <laughs> okay. Sometimes power, but I think that yeah. also is what feeds into the patriarchy piece and I have sure. to recognize that. And figuring out how to get that for myself without stepping on anybody else or thinking I'm better than anyone else. Man, you had a very good answer. I just made like, that up, but it's, you, it's, it's from the heart, but it's true. That but is I think, unbelievable. I don't know. What like, motivates me is just to, to, to change and to be okay with being myself unapologetically so then I don't have to keep anything hidden because it's too much effort to do that. That is, geez, man. So what motivates you? That, <laughs> well. I, my answer is not going to be anywhere near that self-aware because I think that is the best answer that you could have possibly given. Um, what motivates me like truth and discovery and honesty, you know, I've mentioned that several times today, just what is honest, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in pursuit of that. What is, what is honest for me? What's the honest thing to do right now? What, what motivates me? What, the health of other people, honestly, yeah. you know, this, this responsibility that I feel sometimes, you know, that can become overwhelming, overwhelming and kind of burdensome. Absolutely. I you know, I agree with that. It, it absolutely can. And I hold that in one hand and in the other hand, I hold that, you know what, when, when I do something that is responsible and it benefits someone else and they are appreciative and it's something they couldn't have done for themselves, or it's something that makes them better, makes them grow, is good for the world. I don't, it's when it's good, then I think that responsibility can be a, a very good thing. And so sometimes that motivates me is, is I want, I want other people to do well and I want me to do well, but getting, wow. Getting back to the question, I, I think, how do I convince my husband that it's not just for women? I, my, my guess, I'm going to make an assumption here because I don't know this person or their husband, but I would guess at some point along the way, they've had a discussion maybe. And 
uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk to somebody, but no, that's, that's for women. Right. Just kind of a dismissive kind of, uh, you know, response. I, I would say I come back to this. We all have emotions. You know, we talked about this a bit with just the, when the brain takes over, you know, when, when the cognitive, what is logical, what is literal, the, you know, the left side of the brain is like when that takes over, you know, it's, it's reminding us that health is not just that it's not just the cognitive, right? It's, it's considering all of it. And because we all know that we all have emotions and it's not a fact of, it's not a matter of, do we have them or don't we? It's a matter of what you do with them. So can we, can we at first acknowledge that, that you have emotions, you're feeling something here, right? And sometimes it takes quite a bit of work to get to that point, right? But I, I think if I was, if I were in this, this, this person's place, I would start with trying to create an environment where everything is respected and everything is, you know, has value. And what I mean by that is not just making the right decision, not just leading, not just, you know, strength and all of the things that maybe culturally one would place on a male, right? It's like, that's, that's not the only important thing. It's not, that's not in and of itself what creates health in a person. Yeah. So what else is there? There's okay. There's like the emotional part of it. It's like, if you're feeling something, you know, or you acknowledge that if you can get to the point maybe where you recognize that it's not just about the cognitive and you know, you're deficient in being able to communicate what's going on internally, you know, from an emotional level, then I think if I were a guy and I, I realized that I would say, well, if healthy means all of it and I'm kind of weak in this area, maybe it would be good to talk with someone, you know? I love that. I think if we are to lean into assumption with this person and let's say that the assumption is I want to be strong and to be strong is to not admit that I need to go to therapy or therapy is not for the strong. I think of therapy as going to the gym. You go to the gym right. to work out your body, to get into a certain physical state of being, whatever it is, just to keep yourself active. Therapy is working out your mind and your heart. And I would argue that leaning into the assumption of this person is valuing strength to actually be the pillar of strength that a person wants to be, specifically a man, this man, would it not make sense to have a stronger understanding of your emotions and control of those, as well as, as a, the ability to allow yourself to be okay with them? Not let them control you, but be okay with them, working in tandem with them, and also to strengthen your mind. I love that. I love that because then you're speaking, you're speaking his language, you know. In the beginning, and, and then when we in get, the beginning, get right? Like, office and once there's like there's the safety and rapport and trust established, maybe start to dismantle why strength and that pressure is so important to that person. You know, in that response too, it just kind of occurred to me like therapy is for women, right? It's almost like a putting down of both. It is. It's like therapy, you know, admitting that you have a need that you can't fix on your own. Maybe you need to work through something is for women, right? So I, I think... I think I love your response in that, like in the beginning, we have to kind of meet people where they're at. We have to meet people where they are. We have to speak the language that they speak. If our goal is to create change, we're not going to do that by saying the kinds of things that they would expect us to say. So, you know, kind of framing that as like, a, hey, you know, you work out your body, you place this value on, you know, 
leadership and being strong-minded and being cognitively like, you know, at the top of your game. And it's like, we place all the value on that. Maybe it's more than that. You know, maybe we let's work out some other things that we know are there. You know, the, the emotional part of it, we know it's there. Let's, let's do a better job. We can do a better job at that. You know, I love, yeah, I love the way you did that. That's, I have nothing to add. Like, that's fantastic. And, and it's, it's such a big question. You know, we obviously yeah. can't answer it here, but we can just provide some of our own perspective and insight on it. And I think this has been a great episode. Yeah, you know? I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Really enjoyed talking with you. I'm kind of curious just if we summarize it, like how you would summarize what we talked about. Closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Yeah, I, I would say it is it is absolutely true that our society, our family systems, our environment has makes a difference in how we view our identity, you know, in so many different ways. It, it's that matters. It, it kind of goes back to this day one of school. Like, is it nature or is it nurture? You know, is it the environment or the way you're created? You know, like what, what is it? it I, I think it's both. And I think a lot uh, most in this field would agree that it's both, but we're talking here about, you know, a lot of the environmental side of it, the society piece of it, it matters. And we've received messages over generations. This is a man's world. Yeah. That song right. popped in my head just now. Generations. Yeah. It's like change, change happens very slowly. I, I think that was a great point that you made. Change happens, but it happens slowly. And I think, you know, the way we create change is we remain honest. You know, we remain honest in the moment. Like we acknowledge that emotions are there, that they are there to show us and help. It, it, it's, isn't it interesting? Like everyone has them. Yeah. I don't know if a study's ever been done to see if like, if, if there's like, you know, someone who's been born without the ability to feel anything, well, any kind of emotion, like maybe, maybe, but generally speaking, we all have them and they're there not to wreck us. <laughs> Not to like make us weak. They're there to teach us something important so that we can take that and do something good with it. I don't know. That's kind of how I'd sum it up. I love that. I think I would sum it up just as my own, with my own personal beliefs of therapies for everyone. Yes. I think men need to hug more, love more, Agree. listen more, speak more and compliment each other more. Yeah. Just be okay with like sharing what you really want to share and being authentic and not having That's to put on word. facade to fit into the idea. And I think the the concept of this is a man's world is incredibly damaging and creates a level of entitlement, a sense of entitlement that it's not true. <laughs> and that's a much bigger conversation about the patriarchy as a whole. It's a people's world, right? Yeah. Uh, that's, and I don't even know if that, I'll have to think about that to <laughs> see if that resonates and makes sense to me. But it's, yeah, I would I would say we are all, much more. And I've heard this more, more and more, you know, and I love it. We're all much more alike than we are different. And there are things that we all share in common, right? That you said it, the word is authentic. When we're being authentic and we're living honestly, then that's health. That's healthy. And that's, that's where I would leave it. Thank you so much again, Dave. Hey, this has been great. Thank you everyone it. that's listened. This is another episode of Collective Conversations. And yeah, we'll be back for another episode. Me and myself and Mackenzie, we'll see what that looks like because she's going to be 
moving to Chicago, but we're going to figure it out. If you have any episode ideas or anything you want to hear us talk about specifically, feel free to contact us um, on our Instagram or just personally, if you know us or, or give us a call. But yeah, thank you for listening and take care. Have a good day. That's all today. Thank you guys for joining us on Collective Conversations. If you want to learn more, you can check out our website at mycollectivecare.com or on our Instagram at mycollectivecare. We'd also love to hear from you. So you can send us an email at hello at mycollectivecare.com or give us a call 615-208-3397. Yeah. And if you have any questions you want us to answer on an upcoming episode, we're happy to do that. We'd love to hear from you all and, and any kind of feedback or anything you want to see us talk about in the future, let us know. 